Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. As you do that, let me kind of give you a little bit of a uh, peek into what's going to happen here, Lord willing, over the next uh, few weeks. Um, You know, one of the things that God has been encouraging me with over the last few years is the neat things that he's doing in central Illinois, uh, in his church. You know, 10 years ago when we planted, we kind of looked around and said, okay, maybe God might have us plant in this area as, as, as we were planted. And, and yet over the last few years, uh, we've just been very encouraged as we've kind of looked at different areas and, and talked to existing churches in central Illinois. And I, I think we've seen God really strengthen some churches in some neat ways over the last few years. And God's ministry in our, through our church seems to be more about strengthening uh, churches in our area and, and planting churches in, in areas that uh, don't have uh, churches yet. And that's been, it's just been very encouraging to me. I'm, I am just overwhelmed by the, the strong churches that God, God taken even some churches that weren't necessarily uh, strong churches uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, and doing some neat works uh, in those churches. And one of the things that has been encouraging to me too is, okay, how can we as a, as a church see that God's church in central Illinois is more than just Bethany Community Church? And one of the ways, of course, is you know, we pray for uh, uh, churches that we're ministering with and seeing God do great things with. And, but then another way is just by giving you the opportunity to, to hear uh, what's going on in other churches and to hear from other, other pastors. And so next week, uh, Scott Burkle, who is a, a very dear friend, he was actually on my ordination council when I was ordained uh, many years ago at, at Bethany Baptist Church, and he, is, uh, he loves our church. He uh, keeps uh, abreast of what's going on in our church through uh, listening to sermons, and I'm always impressed, actually, every time I talk with him with, with how much he knows about what's going on in, in our church and appreciate him. So he's going to be here uh, next, next, uh, sun, next Sunday. And uh, we're going to be, several pastors over the next few weeks are going to be uh, switching pulpits, and uh, we're going to be sharing some, some things that unite us in Christ as part of God's uh, church here in central Illinois. And so, t- so that's next week. Scott Burke will be here. I'll be at East White Oak, Lord willing. And then two weeks from now, I'll share with you some of the things I shared at East White Oak, talking about the, the doctrine of the Trinity and how that unites all churches who want to glorify the triune God. And then in three weeks, we'll be back in Galatians. This morning, we're looking at the first part of God's call to ministry in these verses in Galatians chapter 1. And we're also uh, preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper here at the end of the service. So I'd encourage you to be, even now, asking God to, to work in your heart as you prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake of the Lord's Supper, but we do ask that you be a member of Christ's family. That is, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And we encourage you to be a member of a church or working towards membership in a church. So we're here in Galatians, and let me just kind of give you a reminder as to what's going on here in Galatians chapter 1. The big theme of Galatians is finding freedom in the true gospel, finding our freedom in Jesus Christ. And the first part of Galatians is about the source of this true gospel, where it comes from. And Paul has, has said this very shocking thing, very strong thing. He says, look, this gospel didn't come from men. I wasn't taught it. I received this gospel through a revelation. 
a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And he recognizes that, that that's a pretty bold thing to say, and so he begins to give some proofs of, look, here's how you know that this gospel really did come from God, that it's not from me. And remember the first proof that we looked at last week was the proof of his conversion. He says, look, this is who I used to be, and I was transformed, and obviously that, that transformation could not have taken place apart from God and his incredible grace. So that's my first proof that this gospel comes from God. And the second proof that Paul is going to offer this morning is his calling. His call to ministry is a proof that this gospel is a true gospel. And what we're going to see this morning as we look at at Paul's call to ministry is that the same is true for you and me. The proof of the gospel, one of the proofs of the truth of the gospel, is in our call to ministry as well. So if you're able to this morning, if you would stand with me as we read from Galatians chapter 1. And Paul, again, has just talked about his conversion, how he was... He was persecuting the church. He was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Then we come to verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia And returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. may be seated. And Heavenly Father, we would ask that you would indeed be glorified in our lives, be glorified as we listen to your word and as we apply it by your grace through the working of your spirit within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in the 16th century that Nicholas Copernicus wrote a work entitled On the Revolutions of the Sphere of the... uh, Hold on, what was it called? (laughs) It was called On the Revolutions of the Celestial Spheres and uh, wasn't a a page-turner. I have not read it. It didn't sell that well. I think it didn't even sell out its initial run of 400 copies or so, but it was a transformative work on the revolutions of the celestial spheres. And, and in this, this work, Copernicus, as you may have remembered from school, uh, Copernicus argued that the earth was not, as many widely believed, the earth was not the center of the universe. Instead, the earth revolved around the sun. In the work, Copernicus said, to know that we know what we know, 
And to know that we do not know what we do not know, that is, is true knowledge. And so this, this idea that, that we understand that we are not spatially at the center of the universe, that, that we, are, we are not uh, at, at the center of the universe, but in, instead we, we are orbiting around a sun, to understand that is, is transformative. It, it changes our perception of who we are. And Copernicus's work begins what we call the Copernican Revolution as, as we changed our whole perception of the nature of the universe. Now, it, it's important to know what we know, and it's important to know that we don't know the things we don't know. But I think it's even harder to consistently act in a way that reflects the knowledge that we have. So in other words, I, I know, I will freely acknowledge that I am spatially, I'm, I'm not the center of the universe. I understand conceptually that the universe doesn't exist for me, but I struggle, and I would assume that many of you struggle with this as well, with not acting like I believe that the universe revolves around me. Even when it comes to an issue like my salvation, even when it comes to an issue like my calling to ministry, to, to service of God. For some of us, I think we conceive of our lives like we're kind of in a, a story, a, a movie. And the, the, the movie has us as the main character. So I, I live in this world, this story called, you know, Daniel Bennett. What a guy. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the main character of this, of this movie, and, and all of you are very nice supporting characters and uh, actors and actresses. And so I, I go through life, and, and there you are, and, and the story's about me, and so your story's about how you interact with me. And this is true even when it comes to, I, I would argue, we wouldn't say this, we wouldn't necessarily consciously say we believe this, but this is how we operate. Even when it comes to salvation, even when it comes to God's call in our life. We were in this, this movie, this, this movie called Daniel Bennett, What a Guy, and I'm, I'm living my life, and all you guys are supporting characters, and then along comes God as this, this really special, powerful supporting character, and God saves me. Because, I mean, why not? What a guy, right? And as he saves me, now God enables me to do the things that I want to do. So I, I want to, to be successful in this arena of life, and God comes alongside, and he, he saves me so that I can do the things that I want to do. I was listening to a person talk this week about their, their, their call to ministry, and, and they talked about how they went from church to church, and none of the churches that they went to recognized that they were called to this position that they believed that they were called to, and they, they finally found a church that agreed with their own conception about their, their importance. We sometimes, I, I think, pastors are, are guilty of, of creating this, this paradigm of understanding life. When we, when we preach, we, we open up God's Word and we say, okay, here's a, here's a passage and I'm going to do a series on, on how God's Word can help you be whatever it is that you desire to be. So, you know, you want to be more successful with your finances. Okay, look, I can find some things in the Bible that talk about finances and now we'll use God's Word to help you be more successful in your finances or to be a better manager or to be a, a, a better mom or a better dad. And it's not that Scripture doesn't have things in it that help us in those things, but you see, the, you see the difference of understanding. My life is not some movie called Daniel Bennett, What a Guy, and, and the, the gospel is not some, 
some story about how I can become whatever it is that I desire to become, and God is some supporting character in that. God's, God's word tells me, look, uh, Daniel, I've got some bad news for you. You need to die. You're the story and the character who needs to die. And you're kind of a jerk. Instead, the story that you're in, and, and this, is, this is the the Copernican revolution we need to have spiritually. Look, you're, you're not the center of the universe. You're in a story about God. And this story about God has you in it by God's grace. And you, by God's grace, have been saved. You've been, you've been called. You've been chosen by God to be a part of this story. But your story is not significant on, a, on an individual level. Your story is significant as you become a part of God's story to proclaim his glory. And so your story of salvation has, in, in some ways, you're far less significant than you could ever imagine. In some ways, you're far more. You're far less significant in terms of the, significant in terms of the story being about you, but there's far more significance you can have in, in God's story than perhaps you're aware of. Your story has significance not as it exalts you, but as you have a, a church-wide influence, a church-wide significance for the glory of God. Your, your story has significance as you have an inter, international significance for God's glory. Your story has a cosmic-wide significance as you work to display the, the glory of God throughout the universe. You know, as, as Mike was praying with our, our friend earlier, we were talking about the, the circumstances that change in our life. And if we believe that the story is about us, those, those circumstances seem like major plot problems, right? But if the story is about God and about his glory and our salvation and our call to ministry is part of that plan to exalt the name of God throughout the universe, then the story makes much more sense. Here's the main idea that I want to communicate with you this morning. Here's the, the reconceptualization that needs to take place as we think about salvation, as we move from an individualistic conceptualizing of our salvation to, to understanding that, that our salvation has a church-wide, a worldwide, a cosmic significance. Here's the main idea that I want us to see. Before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, God prepared a ministry for you to do that brings others joy and him glory. Before the foundation of the world, before time began, God prepared a ministry for you to do that will bring others joy and him glory. That, I believe, is a more helpful, more biblical way for us to understand our salvation and our call to ministry. So we're going to unpack that together this morning. I want you to notice something here as we look at the text, by the way. Remember, as we looked at Galatians 1 earlier, and we talked about Paul, and he said, here's who I used to be. I want you to notice something. Look at the text with me, if you would, and we'll get to some other things here in just a minute. He says, you've heard of my former life. And then listen to how he describes his former life in Judaism. It's, it's very self-centered. I did this. I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's story before conversion is all about him. It's very much in this Paul, the apostle, what a guy mindset, right? But 
then something changes. And as he talks about his call to ministry and his call to salvation, the story is very much about who. Who is doing the acting here in the next part of the passage? It's, it's God. But God does this. God decides this. God sets me apart. God prepares this ministry for me to do. And, and that's what we're going to see this morning. Now, in your notes, if you, if you grab some notes, it says in your notes, we're first of all going to talk about Paul's life, Paul's story. We're actually going to get that to the end of this morning or maybe even in a couple weeks. But I want us to first kind of look at some five things about God's calling us to ministry, how this is all about God and how this helps us revolutionize our thinking. This passage helps us revolutionize our thinking about our salvation, about our calling. Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing I want us to see. God elects us. God, it's not a car. I'm not sure if I'm saying that clearly. I got a little bit of a head cold. Not God elects us. God elects us. Okay. God elects us. What does that mean, elect? It means to choose. God, God chooses us. He he sets us apart. He says here in uh, the, the first part of the verse, he says, but when he who had set me apart, he who had, who had set me apart, who had separated me. Now, sometimes when we talk about election, we're, there's a different word that, that's used there. This, this word means to set apart. Now, what does election mean? One theologian puts it this way. Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his, his sovereign good pleasure. And the word that Paul uses here is, is a word to, to separate out, to, to set aside for a purpose. We see that Paul uses this word in Romans 1.1 as he talks about how he is set apart for the gospel of God. Now, the idea that God elects is kind of a controversial idea, as I'm sure many of you know. Sometimes this kind of rubs us the wrong way. We're, we're uncomfortable with it. We say, well, does this mean that, that, that we're simply robots? Does this mean that God is, is some sort of uh, cosmic dictator that, that doesn't allow us to have free will? What, what does this mean in terms of our, our culpability, our responsibility for the decisions that we make? There's, there's all sorts of questions that we could ask uh, about this idea. But let me just give you kind of four thoughts that I think help us as we think about God electing us to ministry and the idea of election. The first thought is this, and, and I don't think this thought should be very controversial to anyone who's, who's a Christian. Number one, God decided to show grace on us despite our condition, right? God, in his mercy, decided to show his grace upon us despite our condition, Romans 5 says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. Uh, Romans 5 goes on, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The first thing is we think about election, election and God electing us for ministry. I think it's important for us to, to agree that God decided to show grace on us and save us despite our condition. Now, the second thing that I think it's important for us to think about here 
is, is this. God, God made that decision before the foundation of the world. God made that decision to be gracious to us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 is talking about blessing God, and it says that we should, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in, the, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the, the decision, or rather uh, God's act, the decision was, was made before the foundation of the world. So God decided to show grace, number one, despite our condition, and that decision took place before the foundation of the world. Now, the third thing that I think is helpful for us to think about is that this means that the decision, his choice, election, was not based on anything that you or I had done or would do. The decision, election, was not based on what we would do or even what we would not do. It was, it was made before you and I could do anything. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 9. He says, he's talking about God's choice of Jacob over Esau. And he says, even though the children were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Now, what does it mean, his purpose of election? He says, this took place before the the children were even born, so that God's purpose might stand. And the purpose is that God, before they acted, before before, uh, they they had done anything good or bad, God acted. So God's election was not based upon their works in any way whatsoever. Now, this is a, a really difficult thing for us to understand, because you and I live in the world of cause and effect. So right now I have this, this paper clip in my hand, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it here and I'm, I'm going to drop it, okay? The suspense is building, right? What's, what's going to happen? I, okay, it, it falls, okay? Now, now why did that paper clip fall? Well, it fell because of, of a cause. I, I let it go. How did it get in my hand? Well, about 20 minutes ago, or I don't know what time it is now, maybe an hour ago, I was, uh, I was in the, the room back there. I was like, oh, I need something to drop. Here's a paper clip, and I, I picked it up. Now, how did the paper, I probably should return that. I don't know, I don't know why that paper clip was in there. There's probably some, some costume that needs it uh, somewhere, and someone's going to be like, I need a paper clip. I saw someone drop it on Sunday. Uh, Cause and effect. Cause. Now, you could go back. Now, how did, that, how did that paper clip get in there? I don't know, but something caused that. Something caused the paper clip to, to come in, to, to be manufactured, and, and someone invented the paper clip. And you can go on and on and on and on. You can go back to God's creation of the world as the, the first cause that, that, that allowed that paper clip to just be lying there on the stage right now. And the same is true for every person who's, who's sitting there in a chair. Like, we can go back and we can, you know, you woke up this morning. You know, ah, should I go? Should I not go? I'm going to go. And, you know, there's cause and effect, cause and effect. And we can trace you being here this morning back to the, the creation of the world. Now, now what, is, what does election tell us? You go back to that, that first moment of the creation of the world, and now you're, you're there 
You see all the causes and effects, cause and effect, cause and effect. Now, now go one step more. And it's, it's there that God makes the decision. Apart from our works, apart from our cause and effect, God makes the decision to save, to set apart. Now here's the fourth thing. And by the way, the, the, again, that, that third thing is it, the emphasis there is so that it can't be on our works, right? It can't be about, you know what, uh, God just knows that Daniel Bennett, what a guy, is going to do these amazing things, and so I need to save it. Before cause and effect, God in his glory and his sovereignty chooses. Now here's, here's the fourth thing, and, and this is how it relates to call to ministry. And this is something we don't think about because we're living in this Daniel Bennett, what a guy movie mindset. In eternity past, so that that moment, moment is the wrong word, but it's the only word I know to use. In that moment where God decides to, to save me, he elects me, at the same time, part of that election is also electing to ministry. In other words, God doesn't just say, all right, you know what, I'm here in eternity past, I think what I'm going to do is, is save so-and-so. God says, I, I'm, I'm setting them apart for a, for a purpose. Now, you and I sometimes don't go that far in our, our thinking about salvation. We're, we're living in this, this movie about our lives, and here's this supporting character, God. And of course he makes the decision way back. It's kind of like the sci-fi idea. God makes this decision, eternity past, to save me. It's more than that. God makes this decision, this election, to, to save you for a, a purpose, and that purpose is his glory. Paul says, God, God set me apart before I was born, but it's not just a setting apart because Paul is so special. He sets him apart for this, this ministry. He has this calling. Now, what does this mean for you and me? It means that God has, yes, he's, he's elected to save us, but he's also set us aside for a purpose. God, God requires us to, to understand the, this, this knowledge. You say, well, Daniel, how does this relate to free will? And how does this relate to, to my responsibility? And, and, you know, if I, if I, do these works? Am I, what if I don't do these works? Does that mess up God's time continuum? Look, I, I don't understand how all these things work together. But there are a lot of things I don't understand. I don't understand how Netflix algorithm thinks that I'm going to like some movie that it thinks that I'm going to like, and yet, and yet I believe that some engineer has engineered that, right? I believe that God is, is big enough to have created a universe full of things that I can't understand, and yet I believe that God's word is true, and he is elected in eternity past, before I was born, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us, to, to call me to this, to, to elect me to this ministry. That brings us to the second thing that I want us to think about. God, God calls us. God calls us. Look at what he says about his own calling. It says, he called me by his grace. Now, what is calling? A calling, again, is an act of God by which he, he summons people to him in such a way that they're going to respond in, in saving faith. And this is, this is in terms of, of a calling to salvation. So, for example, let's say that I am going to uh, invite you to a party, my party at my house. 
Sometimes we think of God's calling like this, like God sends out a, an invitation to everyone. It's true, God has, has sent out a, a worldwide invitation through the message of the gospel. And sometimes we think, okay, God's calling is like an invitation to a party, and I can, I can accept it or reject it. And so I, I give you an invitation, like, okay, uh, last time I went to a party at Daniel's house, all he did was, was ask me questions about the sermon. It was very embarrassing because uh, I want to tell him how terrible it was. And so, man, I'm not going to that party, okay, and rip that thing up, all right? That's, that's sometimes how we think of God's calling, like an invitation that I can, can reject or, or accept. But that's, that's not how God uses the word calling in Scripture. Sometimes some people think of it like this. Some people think of it as an invitation that's like, that it, it, it has like this, this uh, compulsion to it. So I invite you to the party, and I have some sort of ray gun that shoots you where you have to come. You're like, oh, I don't want to come, but I have to because he's using this ray gun on me. And some people will think of God's calling like that as God some, shoots some people with this ray gun, and they don't want to come to his party, but fine, they're, 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 they're brought and they're compelled. And that's, that's not what calling is either. God's calling here is, is his invitation his special invitation for those whom he's elected, whereby he calls people in such a way that he allows them, by his grace, by his work in their hearts, he allows them to see the beauty of the gospel and respond to it. So God, in, in his grace, invites us to, to uh, come into relationship with him, and there's, there's this special act that God does whereby we are able to see the beauty of Jesus Christ and respond to the gospel. It, it's like this. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm sure you've been counseling someone, or you've been discipling someone, and you recognize that, that this person you love is, is making some, some terrible decisions. You're talking to someone, and they've said, you know, look, I've, I've made this decision to to leave my spouse. And I know, that, uh, I, know, I know that this decision to leave my spouse is going to bring me much more happiness than me staying in this relationship. And, and I'm sure you've been in this situation as well where you just, you wish, you hear someone telling you about the plans that they're going to do and you, you wish that you could change their hearts. You say, I wish I could somehow convince you of the reality that, that what you're doing is not going to bring joy, is not going to be, bring peace. But you and I do not have that ability. God does. God has the ability, as he calls people to salvation, those whom he's called in eternity past, he has the ability to call them and to allow them to see the, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of his son Jesus, and to respond with faith. It's a supernatural work that God does. John 6.44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. This call is with a purpose, though. Ephesians 2.10 says something rather remarkable. Paul writes this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which what? We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that, that we should walk in them. Now, now again, that's, that's an amazing thing. That's a revolutionary idea. That here in eternity past, God didn't just elect me to, to save me. God elected me for a purpose. 
And part of his, his calling is, is connected to that, that purpose that he's had from eternity past. And so as God works in a moment of time to draw me to himself and I respond to a, a plan that he has had planned out since before the beginning of time, I am not just being called by God to be this, this, this person that's continuing on this, this journey of my life. I'm being called to, to dying to self and being raised to walk in a new life in him. And I recognize that God has this, this plan, this ministry for me. That is a, a radical reconceptualizing of, of our life, its purpose and its nature, I think, for many of us. What it means is this. It means that if, if I'm living my life and I have no conception that God has things that he desires me to do, or maybe put it this way, I have no draw to be walking in obedience to God, fulfilling the purposes for which he's called me, there is a, a real danger that I need to ask, have I indeed been called by God? Have I indeed responded by faith to the gospel message. In other words, if I find no, no struggle in living a, a self-centered life devoid of, of pursuing God and his glory, then I need to ask myself, have I really responded to the gospel message at all? Has God in his grace called me to him? And I need to cry out to God, God, please, in your grace, save me, deliver me. You say, well, how does that work with, how does, how does a that decision work with God's sovereignty. Trust me, it does. There, problem solved, right? <laughs> I don't know. But I affirm it to be true. We've been called. We've been called with a purpose. And it's a calling of his grace. We're going to talk more about this in uh, three weeks as we talk more about God's calling specifically. And we'll talk about some of his, his special calling calling to ministry. Here's the, the third thing I want us to think about God at, God's act. God shows us. Boy, again, some of these wordings that I'm using, I need to pronounce more clearly. Not, not chose us, God shows us. God shows us himself. Look at what he says next. It says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. And, and literally, the text says, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, what, is, what does this mean? It means that in God's pleasure, he, it was his joy, it was his delight to help Paul see the beauty of his son Jesus. So there's election, God elects Paul to this purpose, and then in a moment of time, he, he calls him. And what is he doing in that moment of time? He's, he's revealing his son to, to Paul and the, and the beauty of who Jesus is. Uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, Verse 6, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, this is the message of the gospel that we proclaim, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let, let light shine out of darkness, has, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. God, who, who said, light let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So what we have the ability to do by God's grace is, is within ourselves as God changes us and works within us, we see the, the beauty of his son Jesus. And then, and only then, after we have beheld the beauty of Jesus, do we have the ability to proclaim the beauty of Jesus to others. In other words, I have no ability to proclaim the beauty of one whose beauty I have not seen personally. So Paul says, here's what God did. He, he set me apart for this ministry. He called me to this ministry. And then he showed the, the beauty of his son Jesus to me so that I could respond to him in faith. And that's the message that Paul takes to others. Now, what does that mean for our ministry? It means that for you, to be a, a part of God's story, for you to fulfill not the purpose of the so-and-so, what a guy, what a lady, now that story, to be a part of God's story. You don't need your own beauty revealed. You need to see the beauty of, of Jesus. But what that means, and I'm just looking at some of you. I need brighter lights here if you don't mind. But what that means for some of you, to see the beauty of Jesus, you're going to have to go through some hard things. Right? And I'm going to have to go through some hard things. Because that's the way that God shows us the sufficiency and the beauty of Jesus. You know, our, our kids, uh, we, we give them uh, some, some jobs to do. They're, some of them have worked a newspaper route. Some of them worked at Chick-fil-A, other things like that. And, and one of the reasons and parents do this in different ways, we want them to see the value of things. They say, okay, I recognize that, that $5 represents trudging around in the snow for an hour to deliver papers. I understand the, the value of things. I recognize that to get this, I have to give up that. Here's, brothers and sisters, here's what God is currently doing in some of your lives. He's saying, here's, here's the cost of, of seeing my beauty. And I'm going to take you through some, some hard things right now, not because I despise you, not because I don't want good things for you, because I want you to see my infinite value. And that's how you're going to see the, the beauty of my son. That's how it's going to be demonstrated in your life. God, in his grace, as he calls us to ministry, is not, is not writing a story where uh, you, whatever, whatever financial goal you have for yourself is going to be achieved, whatever parenting of the year award you want for yourself is going to be achieved, where everyone around you looks, around, looks at you and says, my, what an amazing person. That's not God's plan. When those things happen, Fine. But you are part of a story that's, that's designed to proclaim the, the glory of God. And what you need to do to be a part of that story effectively is to first see the beauty of his son Jesus in your own life. And one of the ways that God does that is through, through suffering, through heartache. It is certainly true in Paul's life. God shows us the beauty of Jesus. Next thing God does, God purposes us. You see this in verse 16. He says, this was in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God purposes us. 
He says, this is in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul is called by God. He sees the beauty of his son Jesus. And then, and then Paul is used by God to proclaim him. That was a specific application of, of Paul's calling. We're going to stop there for this morning in terms of this text and come back to it in, in three weeks. We're going to look more at this, at how God uses us and how God used Paul in verses 16 through 24. And we're going to talk about Paul's life to this, this date and God's special calling on us for ministry. But here's what I want us to do as we prepare our heart to partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite the, the men to begin to, to make their way forward. But I want you to ask yourself uh, this question and really ask it of, of God as well. If it's true that before the foundation of the world, God has prepared a ministry for me to do to, to, to bring others joy and him glory, what are the things that God has called me to do? So first of all, maybe we ask as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper together, God, what revolution do you need to do in, in my heart? What, what revolution needs to take place in terms of my conceptualizing of the universe? And, and God, I would never be so, so brazen, so foolish as to say that I believe that the, the world revolves around me. But, but Father, in terms of my frustrations, in terms of my, my fears, in terms of the things that, that I'm thinking about, I have certainly acted in a way in which... I, it seems like I believe that the world revolves around me. Father, show me those things. Help me to see that. And then, God, please reveal to me, what are your purposes for me? What is the ministry to which you've called me? What is the ministry that you have prepared me to do before the foundation of the world? There are things that we know for sure that, that are written in Scripture. You've, call, you've, you've called me to respond in faith to Jesus, to trust in him alone for eternal life. You've called me to holiness. You've called me to be a, a part of a church. You've called me to serve others. You've called me to, you've called me to, to give sacrificially to others. But, but Father, in this, in this place that you've placed me by your sovereign hand, a place that you've prepared for me before the foundation of the world, what's your purpose for me? Father, help me to, to live it out faithfully because of my union with your son, Jesus. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning, may we think about our union with Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our, our life in him, a life that radically redefines, that revolutionizes everything we believe about ourselves and our purpose. Let me pray for us, and then we'll pass out the elements. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we can have life in him. We thank you for the, the transformation that this calls, uh, causes in our life. And Father, we pray that in your grace, uh, you would allow us to live in obedience to you and fulfill your purposes for us through our faith and our trust in your son, Jesus. Prepare our hearts to proclaim that message as we partake of the Lord's Supper together this morning. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.